You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Today, we have Mike Aris-Mendez, Executive Director of the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation. Mike, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Morning, Joe. How are you? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Now, I, got, I have to know, before we begin... You know, we really connected. I felt like we connected when I found out that you have this love for coffee as yes. much as I have the love for coffee yes. at all hours of the day. So Yeah, when we had that discussion that we are all-day coffee drinkers. It doesn't bother us. We can drink coffee at 11 o'clock at night, and I'll be asleep by 1130 with no problem. So it doesn't affect me. As a matter of fact, I'm actually drinking some right now, but it is, my wife and I just got back from a cruise, and one of the places that we stopped at was Jamaica. So I picked up some of the Blue Mountain coffee, the Jamaican coffee, that, and that's actually what I'm drinking right now. And it's, if you're a coffee connoisseur, you know, that's one of the premium ones that, that you can get. I would definitely put myself in the coffee aficionado world. Uh, I love yeah. trying new coffee. And I actually have a really great story about the Austin Roasting Company. Really? And yeah, I know. This is crazy. This is crazy. So I was just in Austin. I didn't tell anybody I was there, but I was there for a retreat with a bunch of buddies of mine. And one of them I was picking up from the airport. I actually drove from California to Austin, which was, uh, wow. that was a crazy drive. That so was a while. Yeah. On the way home, I made it from Fort Stockton. Was it Fort Stockton? San Diego, <laughs> which is like 988 miles one day. I was going to say, you did that in just one drive. Just one drive. Got in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a long ways. It's like middle of West Texas. There's nothing mm-hmm. out the McDonald's, no. a Love's gas station, and one hotel. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's a long drive. I think that as someone was telling me one time that the trip from El Paso probably to Los Angeles is shorter than the trip from El Paso to like Marshall, Texas, or Orange, Texas, which is on the other side of Texas. That you cross over a few states to get over to California, but it's actually quicker to get there than it is to travel across Texas. Yeah, so. it is. I was thinking about that. And the drive from Southern California, even to Northern California, is kind of what it felt like where once I entered El Paso, I was still driving. I'm like, wow, I'm still in Texas <laughs> on my way to Austin. <laughs> still in Texas. So, so did you have some of the Austin roasting coffee when you were on your way traveling? So this is the funny story. I get to Austin and then a buddy of mine's like, hey, man, I'm flying in later this night. Can you pick me up? I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I drive to the Austin airport. And right before that, I look up on Apple Maps, 
classic Apple Maps. And yeah. I need coffee. I've been driving. I'm tired. I need some extra coffee. And so I look up and the Austin Roasting Company comes up. I'm like, great. Love it. Great review. Five-star reviews. I show up. It's a warehouse. And I'm already thinking they took me to the roasting facility, not the actual coffee shop. I get out and there's a guy out there and he looks like he's kind of packing up. And he's like, hey, can I help you? I'm like, oh, you're pretty friendly. That's what I like about <laughs> Texas. You're pretty friendly. I'm just on the way to the airport, and I'm super tired. I was looking for coffee. I'm looking for this place called Austin Roasting Company, but I've got a feeling that this is the, like, roasting distribution center, not the actual coffee. And he goes, I'm the owner. Really? How about that? And we wow. start talking, and I was telling him, I love coffee. I live in Santa Barbara. And next thing I know, he's like, no way. I lived in Santa Barbara. Oh, what? you're kidding. <laughs> so he's like, you're a friend now. Yes. Awesome. Small world. And next thing I know, my buddy's texting me. Hey, man, I'm at the airport. Where are you at? And hey, I'm smelling coffee beans right now with the owner <laughs> of the Austin Roasting Company. Yeah. I'll come get you in 20 minutes. And I get this whole tour of the facility. And wow getting some brewed coffee. It was turned out to be one of those fantastic rant, super, super random trips that, yeah. you know, we got super lucky and it was great. So he just told That's me something anytime I come back to Austin. And you will. And I will. And today, this morning, we brewed the Peru version. They've got a couple of different and that mm -hmm. was absolutely fantastic too. After this podcast, because I've haven't been able to leave this chair all morning, I will probably go get me some more Peru because I desperately need it. <laughs> so that's my Austin Roasting Company story. And if you haven't yeah. tried it, I would highly encourage you to go well, to the Well, I definitely will facility. now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely will go try it now. Love that. All right. So now we're going to actually kick off the real podcast. But look, if you – I have a huge amount of followers in Texas, and so I know they would appreciate the first five minutes of this podcast. And a lot of them drink coffee. So we just gave them an inside scoop that the Austin Roasting Company is where it's at. And if you are near the airport and pop into the Austin Roasting Company distribution facility, ask for the owner and somehow just drop Santa Barbara and you might get a tour just yourself too. Hey, you know, that would be a benefit in itself. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, so Texas Department of Licensing and Registration, never interviewed anybody from here. So I'm really excited about this. And I was thinking... The word that came to me this morning uh, was inner workings. So, Mike, can you just kind of give mm -hmm. us the inner workings of the services that the Texas Department of Licensing and Registration provides for Texans? Right. Well, let, let me tell you, Joe, I appreciate you asking because I've had the opportunity to be able to visit with several folks that are outside the organization about our agency. And I sum it up by telling people this is my, you know, that kind of that two-minute elevator speech. There's nothing in Texas that you don't touch, get on, participate in, that the Texas Department of Licensing Regulation does not license and regulate. So if you go into an office complex and you get in the elevator, we license and register the elevators. If you know you go into a hospital and you go into the cafeteria, the dietitians are licensed by us. The moment that you come in and you turn on your coffee pot, which of course we were talking about right now, the electricity runs through that, we license and regulate the electricians. Turn your heater, AC on, those are the ACR technicians that we license and regulate. So there's really nothing that you don't become a part of. We actually also do, as an example, driver's education. When people do driver's ed, 
We license regulate the, the cosmetologist barbers. I mean, all the way to athletic trainers at athletic events, you know, down to behavior analysts that work with autistic children, you know, over to weather modification and trying to be able to do some cloud seeding. That whole gamut that we have there is a part of what we do with the licensing regulation. We have about 37 different programs that we license and regulate. Once you include motor fuels, which is another, the fuel pumps, when you go and put gas in Texas, you include those in there. We're at about 1.3 million licenses and registrations of devices in our purview. So there's a lot that we do. I tell you that my my only responsibility is to kind of manage everybody because they know what they're doing. I'm just simply making sure that everybody's doing the job. So there's just a lot that we do. Yeah, no, that's really great. You said manage the people because, I mean, obviously you have a team. Maybe some of your favorite part of managing your team. You know, I think that the biggest thing I was talking about is the people that we have that have been with the agency for a while, they know their programs and they're passionate about their programs and they go to bat for their licensees. I can think about our health-related programs that do several health-related industries, such as midwives, and I talked about behavior analysts, speech-language pathologists, all those. That when I talk to them about possible legislative changes or issues that we may be having in the industry or some something that may pop up in those things, they're very passionate about that industry. And so I know that every time that I talk to them, they're gonna give me what's in the best interest of the licensee. At the same time, because they work for the agency, I know that they're going to provide the best advice for me in being able to do the right thing for the state of Texas, but also for the agency itself. And so, you know, our mantra is to make sure that we have customer service uh, in everything that we do. And the other thing is to ensure that we are removing any type of impediments or barriers for people to be able to prosper and grow their business. And so we're always kind of on the lookout for that. And the people that I have working for me provide that. They have a lot of experience in either the legislative side or the legal side. You know, I tell everybody that our agency is just filled with attorneys. I've got attorneys everywhere. Uh, But that's a good thing because it helps us to be able to make sure that from a a legal standpoint that we're not falling outside the bounds of the statute of what was written in law, but stay within those confines when they're developing rules. So, uh, like I said, I've got a great group. They're strong. They continue to provide needed counseling, needed guidance when it happens that uh, I need to make a decision. So I've got a lot of their, I got a lot of confidence in them and I trust them immensely. Yeah, no, that is, that's fantastic. There was a couple of things I was laughing about. I think the first time we were talking, my wife used to teach at the cosmetology school at the colleges here. And she was explaining to me everything. And I was like, oh, I'm talking to this guy, Mike. He's the Texas version of everything, (laughs) everything that has to go through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I tell you that it doesn't really matter which state you go to. They all pretty much do the same thing. It just depends on the number of hours that they have for, you know, a certain of their job or, you know, coloring in this particular case, legal, the laws, the statutes and, you know, all of that. So just a matter of how many hours they devote to it. But yeah, there's pretty much we have people coming in from different parts of the nation into Texas and they want to be able to now begin to start cutting hair in Texas, as an example. And so, yeah, I, it was when you mentioned that to me, I think that was, we had a little conversation about what she does over there also in cosmetology school. Yeah. Then I hired her. Now she works for me. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Good old family business. Yeah. I was laughing <laughs> when you said also the, you know, wanting to prosper and grow your business. Those are rare words out here in, in California. I had just received an email from basically the California 
version of you. This is like an automated email, but basically it's due to X, Y, Z. We borrowed money in this for unemployment benefits. As a small business owner, we are charging you to help cover our fund. And I was like, to cover it. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And that's hard for business owners because, you know, they're trying to make a living. You begin to start thinking about the number of small businesses that exist in the nation. And, and that's the bulk of what we have. And those are the ones that make, those are the major employers. And so, you know, the, the Texas, the legislature and, you know, and I call them the big three, the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker have been very adamant about ensuring that we continue to, to help businesses grow and get out of the way of it. So we try to do our part in the occupational side because we do have a lot of occupational trade licenses. And as I mentioned earlier, the health related type of licenses as well. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of just like entrepreneurship in general. I just love it. And we had some friends who had graduated from the cosmetology school and they were working at Supercuts and Jamie wanted me to sit down with them. And so I sat down with them and I was encouraging them. I'm like, I'm looking, I just took one look at their Instagram. I'm like, these gals would crush it. I'm like, you just need to go out on your own. Don't work at mm-hmm. Supercuts. Nothing against Supercuts. I'm just saying go on your own and they are wildly successful. And I didn't really? even know, like way past this whole beauty industry, <laughs> especially being married to my wife, as I've learned, is like a multi-billion dollar. It, it is. is it is crazy. So no, that's exactly right. So I'm a big I'm a big fan. <laughs> and so I actually really enjoy seeing what the other states do to actually promote this and how they kind of think about it and yeah. the whole ecosystem and anyways. That's a tangent. And that's one of the things, yeah. And that's one of the things that we're constantly at the forefront of our minds to make sure that we're able to be able to be that part because, um, you know, Governor Greg Abbott here in Texas a couple of sessions ago, he stated that the Texas Department of Licensing Regulation would be paramount in what we do within the state of Texas as far as occupation and building business. And so we were, we were pointed out for that. So we take that to heart and we know that we're at least being able to provide that because, you know, you think about, I tell our folks all the time is that from a licensee standpoint, they need to make sure they get their license because as an example, that electrician that gets up in the morning, he's relying on that license to ensure that he can go out and work. And if we're not providing that license in a timely fashion, or if there's some type of, you know, problem with his license, we try to rectify that as soon as possible because it's dependent upon him to be able to have that in order to be able to go out and have his income stream to be able to put food on the table for his family. So, yeah, it's something that's very cognizant and top of mind for us. Yeah, no, I love that. Do you happen to do any work with, so I interviewed Dan Texar, who's at the office of the Texas Secretary of State back on, oh, this is episode 70. And they're moving to like a whole new digital system. I was just, I'm kind of off the cuff. Do you work closely with that office? I know they're radically trying to transform their, their entire operations yeah. to a more digital front. No, I don't, but I know that there are a lot of state, state agencies that are trying to move into that, as you talk about that digital front, you know, Tito Large kind of in the same boat. We are in the process of obtaining some type of a licensing system that would kind of take us out, what I call the 21st century. And a lot of that has to do with just being a cloud-based type system that would enable us to be able to generate licenses in a much more you know, quicker fashion, smoother fashion. But at the same time, make it accessible to those that are out in the field where they can access their license and be able to, you know, renew, upload documents that they have to in order to be able to expedite that also. So we're in the process of going through that. And we are, of course, continue to find ways to do that, working with the Department of Information Resources, which I know that, you know, Amanda Crawford over there 
Um, and she and I, as a matter of fact, visited last week, just kind of getting updates as where we're at. So we're constantly forefront of that. But I know a lot of state agencies are working to try to up, upgrade their technology. And I knew that the Secretary of State's office was doing that. I've got a good friend of mine over there, the Deputy Secretary of State, Joe Esparza, that the communication that we had you know, a few months ago was telling me that they're uh, trying to find what they can for their system over there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So you have a really cool thing that you do called Mornings with Mike. I love this. And next time I come, uh, I want to join a Mornings with Mike. I think you did it a little more frequently during COVID. And now I think it's maybe like once a month type of thing. Heard something similar. And I loved it from Stephanie Dedman, who's the state CIO in Tennessee. She calls it kind of coffee and conversations. Mornings with Mike, I assume has coffee. I'm just going to bake that in, Mike, that I assume that there's coffee. Always okay. coffee. Always coffee. Always coffee. That's, I love that. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, and tell I tell us. you, it's, yeah, it's kind of an, in the infant stages of the Tech Tables podcast that you have, but we're trying to work in that fashion. But really what I do is when, when I was a deputy executive director, I had only had a couple of uh, divisions that I oversaw. And so I would have mornings with Mike, but then we'd have it once a month. And it was just an opportunity on, for us to get together, uh, to talk, to visit, you know, they bring their coffee, but it gave us a opportunity to be able to talk outside the scope of business and to get to know the team members that I have and to find out, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing? And, you know, how's your family? Any vacation plans? You know, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Those type of things. And if they had any questions concerning work, I opened up the floor for them to always be able to ask me questions about work. But we hope that we could be able to communicate and be able to provide that culture within the agency of creating what I'm calling a team environment and that love of, because if you think about, as an example, I'm a huge football fan, a team, a football team, every single position on that team is critical. You know, the running back can't run the ball if the guard's not blocked. If he misses the block, then the whole play just falls apart, you know, and if the quarterback doesn't throw the ball to the receiver, then the receiver, we can't move the ball down the field. And when it's time for the kicker to kick that extra point, he's got to make that extra point. So everybody's a part of this team. And every position is critical. And I try to instill that within my team to let them know we're all a part of this huge, you know, kind of conglomerate, this village of individuals that are different. But yet we all have a common purpose, a common mission, common goal. And so the mornings with Mike allows that opportunity to be able to do it. When I became the executive director, I no longer had the two divisions that I had. Now I had 13 divisions. And so I'm still doing it on a weekly basis. Every Thursday I do a mornings with Mike. It's just opportunity. It's from eight to nine, we have coffee together and talk. But because of the 13 divisions, I'm doing it every week uh, and meeting with the divisions every quarter. So I stay busy doing it, but I tell you, I absolutely love it. I find out that we have individuals that one individual was a coach for the archery team at the University of Texas. I found out that another individual was a national quilting champion. Uh, and, you know, and some of the people that we have enjoy going bow hunting or, and some of the individuals, you know, they've got their own hobbies that they enjoy doing. And without having that one-on-one -on -one conversation and building that rapport with my team, I would never know it. And I wouldn't know what's going on if I didn't have that conversation with them. So Morning with Mike has been a great way for me to be able to build a culture within the agency and yet be able to find out about them. Sometimes they just simply ask me about my family and I'll tell them about my family, my three granddaughters that I have that are, the, you know, the, it's the apple of my eye right now. And so uh, it's just been a great opportunity to be able to meet the the team on that work at TDR. 
Yeah, no, that's great. I love the I love the mornings with Mike. I my wife wants me to bring this back. It's like a I had this daily podcast, but doing it every single day was definitely really hard to keep up. But it was like a cup of Joe with Joe mm-hmm. Tossi, you can guess. <laughs> that would be good. That would be yeah. good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I'd go back to the yeah. whole coffee thing. Yeah, I know. We're just trendsetters right now, Mike. And But I do want to pick up on the leadership aspect because I think it ties in really great to our, uh, actually to our next question. There's a quote that says, leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of those in your charge. And you really hinted at that, but I really wanted to ask you like, hey, what does that really mean to you? You know, Joe, along that same line, John Maxwell has a quote. Um, that says no one cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And it's in the same aspect that you're talking about. John Maxwell is a world-renowned leadership guru, a former pastor that was out, I believe, out in California. He's now doing a lot of leadership things, and that's one of the quotes that I got from him. But enjoy those type of quotes because the reality is that this is not about me. It's about the team that we have. You know, I tell people all the time, and I tell legislators when I meet with them, is this, I say, I take the Lee Iacocca method. I hire people smarter than me, then I get out of their way. Because I can tell you, if I try to insert myself in those things, then I'm just gonna mess it up. As I mentioned to you earlier, I have a lot of experts that are that know about this agency. They know about you know the regulation side. They know about the licensing. They understand the legal aspect. They understand you know how the customer service aspect. And for me to simply get involved in that, I'm going to mess it up because they have begun to start really knowing what they do. And so I have to kind of leave them in charge of that. I mentioned earlier that my responsibility is just managing those folks. And I think it goes back to the quote that you're talking about, where it says it's just simply taking care of those that are in your charge. That's what I need to do. I need to make sure that I'm providing the culture for them to be able to grow, that I'm providing leadership development opportunities for them. You know, one of the things that we did last summer is I went off and we took all the directors to a location down in San Antonio. And we all got together and I brought in a couple of leadership individuals that taught on leadership. We did the DISC assessment, which is a personality type. We did DISC assessment to find out. And I told them, I said, look, I don't want you to know who you are. I want you to know who that other person is because you need to know how to relate to them. You, know how, you need to know how to talk to them. You need to meet them where they're at. And that would establish that communication that would establish that culture that I'm looking for in order to be able to make sure that we are communicating and talking. And then I said, but it works both ways. So they're going to come to you, but you need to go to them also. And so we're trying to build this foundation of leadership, this foundation of the growth. I've told them when I first came in, my responsibility is to just to grow you. That's my responsibility. I'm a, I adhere to the servant leadership philosophy that the leadership pyramid is not you know pointed up, it's actually pointing down because it's this point right here is where I'm at. That's where I'm at. And the responsibility of everybody above needs to be put on top of me so that I'm making sure that they are developing. And so it's, you know, I can't talk enough about the servant leadership, Joe, you nailed it. And that quote that you have is a big part of what I believe also is that I need to make sure that I'm providing the opportunity for my directors to and for them to be able to expand. What I look for is that, you know, in six or seven years when I finally ride off into the sunset, that I can try and take a look and say, you know what, this person over here at this agency used to be at TDLR. That person over here at this agency used to be at TDLR. 
this person over there. And I can begin to start seeing how people have been transplanted. And I hope that I'm providing them a culture by which they take to this new role that they have in this leadership role. And that they are able to cultivate that in their own way, not my way, but their own way with the premise of making sure, just make sure you take take care of the people that you have been given the charge with. You know, so, and that, that is a very symbolic and very telling of a servant leadership philosophy. So I, yeah, I love that quote. There's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to start, let's start with the disc assessment. Uh, I have done the disc. So what's your top two? DI. Yeah. You know, and I'm the party guy. I want to go out and do that. The I that comes in there, but yeah, you know, the D of course is that, but yeah, I'm a DI. Can you? I am 100% D, which is the audience who is not familiar, is decisive. So I am very quick to make decisions. And I would say I'm very quick if it's a low impact or I've got like maybe 85% clarity on like, I think this is it. I'm just going to make the decision. In family life, after being married to my wife for X number of years, we actually did the DISC assessment together. And Mm -hmm. it was fascinating going back to what you said about understanding the other person she is the opposite of me beyond opposite her decision for dinner is i won't make a choice and that's my decision (laughs) and she's aware of that which is pretty funny so i have to make a decision and then sometimes i'm like well but are you okay with the fact that i made the decision she's like what if i have an opinion i'll tell you but i don't have an opinion and so that's my decision and i'm like okay so yeah yeah, Yeah, i am hundred percent D and then I am a hundred percent nearly, maybe it's like 98% I. And so I kind of balance mm-hmm. those. We had our daughter take it too. I'd have to go look up her results, but it's fun when you start figuring out, you know, Hey, who this other person, and actually I was at Dave Ramsey's headquarters in Nashville or sorry, in mm-hmm. Franklin, and they actually have a printout of their disc. So you walk by other people's desks and you can see like, Oh, okay. So I get it. That person is this, that person is that. And so, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I never thought which, about that. That would be great to have my directors have out there so they exactly know what every person is. I never thought about that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I never thought about it either. And it, it actually, at first I was like, that's kind of dorky. Everyone has their disc profile. Then I was like, this is actually really helpful because then you start talking to people. So I was at this conference mm-hmm. all week and pretty soon you're like, oh, I get this person's a little more cautious and they want to so handle this over here. Yeah. So then like, if you come like, and so it was great. So now my wife knows like, if she's going to come to me with something, I'm just going to make a decision almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Unless there's like really long-term implications, I'll sit and think about it. Right. right. But most days there is not that type of decision I have to make. And at this point yeah. I'm happily married, have kids. There's not too many life decisions left that I have to make that are like, oh, yeah. I have to sit down and think yeah. about it. Well, you know, and it, it, my wife and I are the same way. We actually were celebrating an anniversary on Thursday, 38 years. And congrats, let's go. 38. Thanks, man. Oh yeah, exactly. It, it's been a long road for her. You know, it's been a short road for me, but it's been a whole lot, lot longer road for her than me. But you know, I'll tell you that one of the things that, that I think that people have to understand is I've had to learn through this because I'm that guy, you know, that D, the decisive is not always a good thing because I just jump. And I tell people all the time, I said, look, I'm at the edge and I see something, I'm going to jump. But I need you to pull me back and say, hang on just a second. I mean, should we really do this? I've made some decisions already since I've been the executive director since February that I've had to go back and apologize for because it was a wrong decision. And people are just now starting to get to understand and know me. The more you get to know me, the more I really need you to step in and say, Mike, we don't need to do that. 
I mean, that's just not a good call right now. And I tell, and the other funny thing about it is I've got a senior deputy executive director and then I've got a deputy executive director. And my senior deputy executive director, if she has to take off for whatever reason, she'll just send me a quick email. Not feeling well, have appointments, I'm out today. And for her, if I say, okay, thumbs up, or even if I don't respond, she's okay with that. But I've got another deputy executive director that will say, Mike, you know, my apologies, but you know, I seem to have contracted something over the weekend. I'm not feeling well. My family was over. So I hate to put the, put you into this bind, but you know, just know that if you need me, I'm available. I can come into work. If not, well, if I were to treat him the same way I treat my senior deputy executive director and just simply say, okay, thumbs up, then this person is going to say, okay, well, what did I do wrong? Maybe I need to go into work, you know, and stuff. And so I have to actually respond back and say, hey, don't worry about it. I understand these things happen. Take your time, feel better. Hope everything turns out well for you. I have to go into this whole difference. But if I were to do that to the senior deputy executive director that is, you know, not, doesn't want a response at all, if I wanted that whole deal, you know, they'd be like, oh my gosh, can I take off or not? That's all I need to know. And so that difference in who they are needs to be taken into account when you're communicating with them. And so by recognition of that, it helps me to be able to say, okay, this person is a DC, so I need to make sure that, you know, I kind of get to the point because that's what they want. Or this person over here is an ID, so man, we could talk and have fun before we even start our meeting. You know, and then this other person that's an S, you know, they need to know, okay, well, how did that make you feel? You know, and what we I want to be considerate of your time. And so those are the type of things that you have to be in you have to know in being in a leadership position is how everyone is. And I think that's what builds that camaraderie and that rapport with your others. Yeah, that, this is a fan, fantastic topic. So just to catch the audience up. So I just brought this up because I can't memorize everything, but I just brought this into my screen real quick. So decisive, focused, task-oriented, hard-charging, interactive, people-oriented, persuasive, super relational. So again, I am like 100% in each of these categories. And then I'm actually 20% in the stabilizing, loyal, protective, trusting of others, cautious, analytical, factual, process-oriented detail. And some key notes, there are actually, when you dive into the DIS profile, treat these as like, there are ranges on this of what you said, right? So there's kind of like the dark side of being decisive, right? You could make a decision oh, super quickly and it's like, that's the wrong decision. Also different environments bring out different types of your personality on your profile. And so I think encompassing all of that, like I feel like I, there are some times in a different environment where I would say I am probably highly stabilizing. So like loyal, protective, trusting. And so just depending on like, all right, so this person's in the work environment over here and in the work environment, we noticed X, Y, Z. And so actually we, we have printouts for my wife and daughter who is 13. Mm -hmm. So we know, oh, yeah. we know when, when the other profiles are clashing with each other. My wife, when I make highly decisive decisions, sometimes it's pretty funny. She will call me. She'll just be like, okay, thanks coach. Uh, okay, coach. And so, cause I coach high school basketball. So I am part of my job is I have to by default yell a lot of times and I'm not yelling at the kids, but when you're in a gym and there's people, mm -hmm. there's, you have to yell in order to yell out a play. And so it's pretty yeah, funny exactly. anyways. I love yeah. it. I'm a huge fan. Right. Well, and I think that some things that people understand is that, you know, in, in this whole detection is whether, you know, you're accommodating or are you strong-willed? 
because those those letters that you have also tell you that. I mean, are you outgoing? Are you private? You know, do you focus on feeling? Do you focus more on logic? Those type of things. You know, can you be tactful? Are you very frank? And so understanding how each person is helps you be able to communicate with them and really focus in to build that and build forward the team that you're trying to build forward in order. Everybody wants a championship team. You're a, you're a coach and you understand this. You're, what you're doing is building a high school championship team. That's what you're trying to do. And you do that by understanding who they are and how you're going to be able to get that person to give their 100% every single time. You know, and it's not, some people it's not by yelling. Some people simply talk about logically, you know, okay, well, you know, what happens if you pivot here and take that turn? Oh, that makes sense. As opposed to simply saying, look, just run around and you're there. I mean, it, it depends on how you do that, but you're trying to build a champ. I mean, a, a high school championship team. I'm trying to do the same. I've told my, I've told my team, I don't want to be the best in Texas because we're the only game in Texas. I want to be the best in the nation. I want other states to look at us and to say, wow, what is Texas doing in the last scene regulation? And what can we model from what they've been able to experience and to be able to capitalize on? So that's exactly what we're trying to do. I'm the coach for this state agency in, in that form of fashion that you're talking about. Yeah, no, I love that. There was an article, I forget where it was at, but it had to do with, there's a gentleman by the name of Jamie Grant, who's the state CIO in Florida. And and I've had the opportunity to go to dinner and I'm going to throw a live event in early next year with Jamie. And uh, this article said that, you know, Jamie Grant wants to win his at his particular agency for the state of Florida. And he actually coached, I want to say he coached like college football for a little bit as an assistant coach, highly competitive. And I think I've been around enough coaches where I've never heard a coach say like, I just want to go out and win today's game. I mean, it's like, they want to bring it down. They're here to dominate. Like when I tell the kids, when we go to a high school, we just had a rivalry rivalry game. And I told these kids, there's no mercy. Like they're going to press you up the floor and Mm -hmm. score 80 on you. You must advance the ball up the court. And once you can break their press, couple times they will back off but they're going to be like bloodhounds so i mean this this is varsity basketball you've got to be ready they are going to bring it so yeah yeah exactly and it's a matter of speaking truth to them which is a part of the leadership thing is that you know it, it difficult conversations are not easy but they're necessary and you have to have those very direct frank conversations with your leadership team of telling them you know this is what you did wrong and you need to correct but I need you. Another quote that I that I follow is that you forget the failure and you learn the lesson. People have to understand is that, okay, just you made a mistake, forget it, but now learn what you did wrong and let's correct it. So there's always corrective action. So yeah. Yeah. We could talk about this forever, Joe. Yeah. No, this is, you know, one last thing on this topic, before you uh-huh. can have that conversation with the team, those hard conversations, you need to have the mornings with Mike first to establish the relationship, then you can go have Great those point. conversations. And Great point. once you have that Great relationship, point. you can have those. Right. Um, no, that's a great point. And I think you as a coach understand it. You just don't simply go out and start coaching them. You have to build that team environment first before they actually begin to start accepting you as a coach and listening to what you do. So I agree, man. That, that is, that, that's a great insight. I only have that insight because when I first started coaching, you can imagine 10 to 11 high school boys staring at you <laughs> like a lost lamb. And the other half, the other few are kind of just looking up at the sky. I mean, you've got no respect <laughs> when you, oh, when yeah. you start, you have to earn every single ounce 
yeah, for yeah. these kids. Once yeah. you have it, it's amazing. But if you, when you don't have it, you're going to have to hold on for a season or six months or so in order to get that. Yeah. yeah, you have to get there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's let's jump. I know we're closing out on time. I did want to talk about a few other things. One, John Fowler, you had mm-hmm. mentioned to me he was an absolutely fantastic hire. You were previously yeah. the interim CIO, but he really understands the technical aspect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, This is like me saying, I could be a CIO. I need to go hire somebody. But you're well, probably a little more yeah. experienced than me, but... <laughs> you know, I tell you, the CIO that we had announced her retirement that she was leaving. And so, you know, I didn't want to rush it because it's a huge part of what we are. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, we're not looking at a licensing system that's going to take us in the 21st century. We have a lot of legacy systems, older type systems. And so I want to make sure that we had the right person for this. And so in the process of doing that, I was the interim CIO for about six months. It didn't take me long to figure out, yeah, this is just not my job. I This is this, this doesn't fall into my wheel. I can't do this. And so I just had to keep everything running for a period of time. And then we went out, interviewed, and found John Fowler, who was over at the Texas Workforce Commission. And let me tell you what, I tell people now that he was, he's equivalent to that first round draft pick that you have. You know, I'm gonna use a lot of sports analogies here, but he's a first round draft pick. He's excellent, he understands, you know, the process from contractual to, you know, the cloud services to procurement and how that works and everything just fit together. He understands it all. And he has been a great added addition to our organization. He's taken us up leaps and bounds. I mean, not just one or two notches. I mean, he has really taken us up and surpass anything that we've ever been a part of simply because of his knowledge. And the thing about it is that, that he, he enjoys the, the challenge that he has. When I hired him, he was still about, you know, six months away, six weeks, six weeks away from coming on board with us. But, you know, I made it a point to visit with him every single week. We had coffee once a week to just bring him up to date. I said, look, let me tell you what you're stepping into. And so I told him all the things that the challenges he was going to have where we were at in those. And because I want him to begin to start really thinking about how he was going to structure the organization underneath him. He has, I mean, he's taking it and he's running with it and he's taken uh, full responsibility for the decisions being made, but he has definitely increased this dramatically. He is actually one of the two people that I have uh, in charge of taking us to that next uh, licensing system. I mean, he's right at the forefront, having all the discussions and negotiations and having all of that going on, then he simply comes back and lets the executive team know what's going on because we trust him. He showed himself right off the bat that he's trustworthy, he's knowledgeable, and he's got a keen insight as to where we need to be at in the future based on just a short amount of time that he's been with the agency. So, yeah, John Fowler, has, like I said, he's my first-round draft pick, and you know he's going to be the MVP of the season, I can tell you that. Let's go. Now, does John, is he a big sports fan too? He is. He he enjoys. I, one thing I didn't know, his son played lacrosse and soccer, I believe. But he is a huge sports fan. You know, he is a graduate of the University of Texas. I'm a graduate of Texas Tech University. And so there's always this kind of infighting between, you know, in Texas of who's the, you know, the best, who's the University of Texas. I tell everybody that I graduate from the University of Texas, which is Texas Tech. And of course, he's a Longhorn fan, but he grew up in the town that Texas Tech is at, which is up in Lubbock, Texas. He grew up in that town, so he's very familiar with them. So he is a huge sports fan, loves racing, though. He, he does a lot of car racing, and he's got some stock cars that he does. So, yeah, he's huge. He loves all that. No, that's great. I, I've got to give a shout-out to my guy, Justin Fair, who is the CIO for the city of Goodyear out in Arizona. He is from Lubbock, 
Texas. Oh, wow. He would also say that is the school for Texas, Texas okay. Tech. I don't know him, yeah. but I really like him. <laughs> yeah, I got to introduce you to, I think he secretly wants to come back to Texas. I think that's oh, his yeah. wife's decision ultimately, but yeah, we'll see. He lo- he comes to Texas quite a bit. So yeah. yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he loves yeah. Texas. All right. I know we're running out of time. We got to give Miss Ruth Hughes, former secretary, I think 113, the honorable Ruth Hughes, I think 113th secretary. I think I, think I got so. that right. I think that's right. Yeah. She had a couple of questions for you. I was texting with her this morning, just asked her, Hey, I know, you know, Mike, any questions from the audience that you would love to drop in? And she said, I love Mike in a very text message kind of form. <laughs> okay. So upcoming IT improvements, the public sector can expect and or predictions for the next session. Well, you know, I think we talked briefly about where our IT is at and just trying to secure and go under the funding for a licensing system. But predictions for the session, I always tell everybody I make one prediction that's 100% solid is that it will be totally unpredictable. Because, you know, when they get in session, you never know. I think that we'll probably see a lot of focus on legislation that will focus on the, the shooting at Uvalde. I think you'll see a lot of that take place. So you'll see it. I think there's going to be some con- conversations still about the ERCOT system, which is the electric reliability council here in Texas on the electricity because of URI that took place a couple of years ago where we lost all electricity. I think you're still going to see some legislation coming out of that. Uh, and I think that the biggest push is we have a lot of agencies that have requested some additional funding for salaries and try to recoup some of those salaries and salary uh, increases. I think you'll see that. So that's going to be a big topic of conversation. Of course, you're going to still have all the other legislation that will be filed. But I think as far as the topic of conversation, those are going to be probably the, the three biggest ones you're going to see would be, you know, changes for the uh, shooting that took place at Uvalde and then also electricity and then the salary increases for state employees. What do you wish for Christmas? What's on your Christmas list? Oh, uh, man, that's a great question. I don't know what I would wish for Christmas other than maybe some, maybe a membership to a premium roast coffee club of some type. You know, that may be probably the best one that I would be a part of. You know, honestly, I told you earlier, I've got three grand girls and they are the light of my life. I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and then a one-year-old. And, at, you know, I'm to that age now that the joy that I get is watching them. That, yeah. That's, I'm that's, with you that's in, the that's it. Fa- in the father camp. But, yeah. Yeah. In the- <laughs> yeah well, yeah, let no. me tell you, Joe, once you get to the grandfather camp, man, it is so much better. It's, I mean, the father camp was great, but, man, that grandfather camp is really good. <laughs> As my wife will say. No grandkids for a long time. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I love that. On the co- I can't empathize. I can understand that it would be pretty sweet. I can't help with the coffee part. I'm going to have to send you some uh-huh. handlebar coffee or bring you some. This is kind wow. of my thing that I always do. So I love handlebar out in Santa Barbara. I think it is the best coffee on the planet. Really? No shade on Austin Roasting Company, but handlebar, their Brazil is absolutely, absolutely amazing. got to try it then. Yeah, I'm going I'm to use them. Best barbecue in your home city? Well, there's, you know, there's several here. There's a couple of them. You know, when I think about Austin, of course, everybody thinks about Franklin. There's another one that's just kind of northeast of the Austin area over called Snow's Barbecue. Ended up being number one for a couple of years, number one barbecue place in Texas. And where I'm at, we have Southside Barbecue, which is really good. There's a Mueller Barbecue located just about maybe seven, eight miles from me in a different town. But that's where also 
you know, it's, it's tough to try and say that there's not any good barbecue in Texas. And so, I, you know, I think I've got a number of them that I would love to go to. That Black's Barbecue is also another great one that's down in the Bastrop area. You know, you get up towards the uh, kind of the hill country further east, I'm sorry, northwest. There's a lot of great barbecue places out there also. So it's tough to be able to just pick one. And because, you know, you can tell I like to eat barbecue. So do I. My answer is D, all of the above. I want all the barbecue. <laughs> I want all of them. All of the above. I like that. With a jalapeno cheddar link on the side next to yeah. yeah, so great. Okay, well, it's 1.30 in California. Maybe I'm, there's no barbecue here. I don't know what I'm going to find. But yeah, let's wrap this, let's wrap this up. This was fantastic having you on. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to reach out for you? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Awesome, I love that. Well, yeah. thank you for coming on the Public Sector Show by Tech thank Tables. You. And yeah, it, was, well, it was fun it. having you, Mike. Thank you, I really truly appreciate visiting with you. You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop an email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind the mic newsletter and one of today's podcast sponsors is tech tables plus an engaging new community where you can have early access to never before released episodes early access to live event recordings early access to weekly three interesting learnings early access to live event ticket purchases no episode ads and more plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today bonus number one access to the ceo show Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.